the value of remasters. I saw a poll recently that suggested that a significant amount of people haven't played San Andreas Vice City or GTA 3. As much as we shit on remasters, right? A lot of content, people just don't even think to look back to find. They're like, if it isn't new, I don't care. Because certainly, like if something isn't marketed, then you aren't necessarily going to run into it, right? YouTube and people's highlighting of old content is one of the few ways that people can really learn of new stuff that they might enjoy. Dozens of times I've ran into like YouTubers talking about something and gone, oh, that actually sounds something that I should check out and I've checked it out. But it's only with the re-release that it makes sense for companies to uh, remarket this stuff to a new audience. I mean, certainly just new content is in general better because you can imagine that with the development of technology and gaming techniques and da da da, the, the, the new stuff will be better than the old stuff. I suppose it's most of the time, not always, but I just think sometimes remaking old stuff that's really, really good is uh, justified for a new generation. To be real though, if it wasn't for modders, playing the old games would be basically impossible, <laughs> you know? I mean, modders help make remasters and remakes less necessary. And you can't always guarantee that old games will get fan support forever. I hate having long hair. Am I going for the long hair look? No, I'm gonna get my hair cut. Long hair is just too annoying. It takes up precious time in my day to dry and put stuff in and all that. The less maintenance I have, the faster I can stream. Will rambles ever end? Do I think I'll ever be done with rambles? So when it comes to YouTube content, you ideally want two things. One, an infinite source of content, and two, for the content to be evergreen, in the sense that regardless of what year it is found and by who, it will still be understood and be interesting. Rambles are only one of those two, which is that I have an everlasting supply. As in, as long as stuff exists in the world, I can talk about it, and therefore rambles can go on forever. But it's not evergreen, because it goes it gets out of date, becomes less interesting sometimes. Like, some of it is evergreen, in that it's, uh, you know, I talk about society, philosophy, all that jazz. But um, other things, talking about current events, less interesting. And sometimes, unless you're around for those current events, I don't give enough context for what I'm talking about to really make sense, because I just assume that people, because the people at the time would understand a little bit, but people a year from now might not. But the reason why rambles will continue to be made forever is because they're the easiest content to make. They're basically filler content. They come out every second day, ideally, to put space between my main videos. So, Because you, you don't want to release a two-hour video every single day, because a person may not have finished the previous two-hour video. You want to give them a little gap there, you know? Rambles perfectly spaced my content. Yeah, I think the rambles is good content. It's just, um, it's not the most difficult content to make. It's not the main driver of uh, people coming to my channel. Will I get a Valve Steam Deck? Am I gonna get a Valve Steam Deck? I am not the target audience for us, but I'm happy it's becoming a thing. The more I hear about what Windows and Microsoft are doing in the future in terms of uh, taking data from users and stuff, the more I'm interested in Linux becoming more popular and more user-friendly. You will never be as big as X. Size of content creator is always relative. Obviously, I'm a big content creator, but there are people right now uploading like two videos a day, each getting four million views, and all they're doing is playing random Roblox minigames and laughing. Every generation has their... It doesn't matter how big you get, you'll never be as big as X, you know? You'll never be as big as Elvis, or you'll never be as big as the Beatles, or whatever. 
Ours is like, doesn't matter how big you get, you'll never be as big as some guy playing Roblox for kids. <laughs> Do I wish I had chosen a different name? I think I like the name Dark Viper AU. The name Dark Viper AU is original enough that there's not a heap of competition in it. It's gamey enough that it's suited to what I'm doing, but it's not lame in the way that some gamey names are. You know? What happens to my body when I mess up my sleeping pattern? It's a hard thing to explain, chat. When my sleeping pattern gets fucked, it's, all, it's like my brain can't produce the chemicals that make you feel happiness or make things seem like they have a purpose. If you haven't experienced it, I don't know how to describe it to you, but it's basically like all light from the world is gone. Everything just seems so pointless and you want to do stuff, but your body just feels awful and you just can't. And you get sucked into these endless thought spirals of just negativity. It's so terrible. It's why I, uh, I say to myself every time, do not fuck up your sleeping pen, dude. That kind of experience, I, I, it's like the worst experience. And I have to go through it every single time I fuck up my sleeping pattern. I am not suffering from burnout. You have no fucking conception how much I want to do the things I want to do. It's a physical fucking phenomenon. And it sucks. Happens every time I fuck my sleeping pattern. I get too invested involved in doing some project. I go to bed too late. Then my sleeping pattern's fucked. And then for like four or five days, it's resetting and I feel like shit and I hate it. When my sleeping pattern shit, I get up and I'm like, man, do I have energy to do anything today? I like, obviously I can always edit, but uh, do I have energy to do chaos, to be entertaining? I don't know. I hope I do. I debated people last time, um, two days ago now, when I uh, thought I had energy but did not. Finally getting a haircut. Look at this, chat. Look at this. So I might be going to my old hairdresser like i didn't go to her uh like i like she cut my hair for like the first 25 years of my life or something i don't know but um she moved away like an like an hour and a half away or whatever and i'm just like oh shit but because i've n i've moved in the last five years i'm like closer to her so it'll actually probably be faster to go to her because i can book an appointment then it would be to go to my barber near me because I can't book an appointment and I have to sit there for like an hour and a half. Ikea bamboozled me. Ikea sent me a solid four text messages, including one saying that my order had been dispatched. And like, I, I didn't know what date it was today. I'm like, well, why would they send me four text messages, including one that said dispatched, if it wasn't gonna come today? So it said it was coming before seven, so I was just waiting until 7, I'm like, man, they're taking like a real long time to get here. And then I look at the date, and it's the 12th today, and they said they were coming on the 13th. Then why send me five text messages? You know? They want me to be really, really prepared to receive my fucking bed frame. Empty non-committal political statements. I also watched a video recently that talked about some particular types of statements that are made by politicians that are a non-committal, but seem to have meaning. Like, the statements, if you elect me, I'll make things better, right? That doesn't really tell you what I'm going to do, except that I'll make things more positive, or, or achieve things that, you know, are good. It doesn't actually tell you what I'm going to achieve. It's like the, like the statement, 
make America great again, right? We all have different ideas of what it means to make a country great, but by making this statement, you are putting forth yourself as a person who's going to do things, get things done, but you're not committing yourself to any particular ends. Like on, on any issue, because you want to get the most votes as a politician, any time you put your foot down on a particular side of any issue, you lose votes. So what, you, what, what a lot of people want to do, or a lot of politicians will almost need to do, is make statements where they're not really that committal unless they, they, they're not really that committed unless they need to be, you know. What is the dictionary and what is its purpose? In case nobody noted, the dictionary is not how most people understand spoken language. It's, it's an approximation of how words are used. It's not in, in of itself giving you the objective definition of words. It's actually a fallacy to point to the dictionary and say, this is how a word should be defined. Because simply because a word is defined a particular way in the dictionary, it doesn't mean anything. It's not actually an authority on words. You, you need to make the case as to why a word should be defined in a particular way. I always argue on the basis of utility. If you, if you give me a definition of a word, I will say, I don't think this is useful as a definition because X, or I don't think this is useful as a definition because Y. The Oxford Dictionary uh, hasn't had the same definitions in it for the entire history of the Oxford Dictionary. If you want to go and look up previous editions of the Oxford Dictionary, you'll find that words do change over time because the Oxford Dictionary doesn't define how society uses words. Society changes over time in, in, in terms of the language that it uses and what words mean, and the Oxford Dictionary updates to match it, right? The Oxford English Dictionary is updated on a quarterly basis and the updates make up the third edition. The material added to the dictionary includes revised versions of existing entries, which replace the older versions, and new words and senses both within the alphabetical sequence of the revised entries and also across the whole A to Z range. You can, you can have words that like, you, you know, you travel from one state to another and the common usage of words will, will change in terms of, in, like in small ways. It's impossible to perfectly articulate in a singular book how a singular word is used everywhere in an entire country. Uh, that, it, it's, just, it's just not realistic to think that's possible. But if I use the wrong, word, wrong definition for a word in a paper, my professor isn't going to accept this argument. If you make in your paper a case for why you've used a word in a particular way, and your professor doesn't accept it, then your professor's an asshole. Because like, you know, people do that all the fucking time, man. You can, you can read articles where people go, um, this, this, and this, I think we need a new word to describe this phenomenon. This is the word that I think would be best used to describe this. My point is communication. As, as, long as, as long as the right ideas are communicated, then it doesn't matter what words mean to me. If I meet a new person, and this person believes that what I think a cat is, is actually a dog, and I know this, and for the rest of the conversation, I simply refer to cats as dogs, I've lost nothing. I have, I have still perfectly communicated what I wanted to communicate. The word didn't matter. If this person doesn't agree that what I think a dog is a dog, I won't use the word dog. I will just describe the things that I think make up the idea of a dog. Words are just tools to communicate the underlying ideas. It's the, uh, it's the communication of the ideas that matters, not necessarily the words themselves. It's, it's why labels are useful, because they're a quick way of communicating ideas. But if two people disagree on what that label means, the solution isn't appealing to the dictionary. Because if the dictionary has a different idea of what that label means than what I'm trying to communicate, then, then I don't want that definition, because I want to communicate the thing that I want to communicate. And it's the communication that matters, not the words, is what I'm trying to say.
Think of how many words that you speak on a day-to-day -day basis that you've never looked up in the dictionary. You're, you're not getting definitions and meaning of, meanings of words from the dictionary. You're getting it from your social environment. What, what's important is that you can communicate with the people in your social environment. The, the only thing the dictionary does is uh, it just helps you get an approximation of what words mean if you've never heard a word before. Like, you don't always get the opportunity to, to find someone in your social environment who knows what every word means. If you're reading a book and you see a word and you go, oh, what does that word mean? You can't call 57 people in your social environment and find out what that word means. It's just easy to look up the dictionary. A dictionary is just a tool to facilitate com communi communication. How did people communicate when most people were illiterate? H humans existed and communicated a lot longer than people have been writing down words, I imagine. When you meet another person who says a word you don't understand, the first thing you do is ask them to describe what that word means. The, the word just makes things quicker. It doesn't necessarily give you more information. If anything, words give you less information than, than the description itself. What, what gives you more, more understanding? Me saying dog or me describing a dog? The answer is the description. The, the word is just an, an easy tool for me to give you that description if you happen to already know what that description is. There's no absurd definition or absurd word that you can imagine that couldn't hypothetically come into common usage. I would add on to this though, that because of the way that dictionaries are treated, they do act in a way to restrict how much development of language can occur in the future. They in effect anchor a word to a particular meaning and make it comparatively harder to change than if the dictionary itself didn't exist. One would imagine that it is easier for society to create a new word and have it become commonly used than it is for an old word's definition to change and it be commonly used. Ambigui ambiguity in communication, people equivocating words or uh, that you can do tricks with language to confuse people and stuff, that, that is always going to be a problem. There's nothing that's going to solve that. It's, it's just life. And, 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 and in, in a way, I wouldn't have it any other way because I, I prefer that language kept evolving, that people find better words to describe things that are currently relevant to society. Or uh, I, I think if language were just to be frozen right now, like I, I don't think that would benefit us. What, what, what would be cool is if we could just do away with speech altogether, like have I link my brain to your brain and I perfectly, perfectly communicate the meaning I'm trying to communicate. And there's no ambiguity there. There's no speech. There's no differing understandings of words and stuff. Injustice, injustice systems. Imagine go, going to jail for 29 years for a rape crime you didn't, crime you didn't do. I mean, sure, that's, uh, that's terrible. Most of the um, electives I did were from criminology. I, I know all too well the, the Innocence Project and how DNA cases have, have proven people innocent for crimes that they were convicted for decades ago. It, it's, it's horrendous. People in the, in, the, in the wrong place, wrong time, and suddenly, bam, you're in jail. Either because of, you know, literal malice where the case that someone has just been convinced that you're guilty and is willing to fudge the evidence or just you know a, a mistake or something makes it seem like you're guilty and you get convicted I, eyewitness testimony is a big thing like that like meta-analysis seems to indicate that eyewitnesses are only accurate like 50 percent of the time or something um in lineups like when they you know when they give you a lineup and there's six people and and one is guilty or whatever um or one is the the guy the, the suspect I mean both types of lineups. Lineups where there isn't anyone there, 
uh, and lineups where the suspect is there. Eyewitnesses are only correct in that either they identify the correct person or say the uh, the suspect isn't there like 50% of the time, and that's fucking scary. It, it's, it's why the push is for eyewitness testimony to, to never be enough to convict someone. Eyewitness testimony should only be be used to support other evidence or should be used to points towards other evidence because talking to people who saw some stuff is clear is still clearly a good good thing right if they say oh yeah i saw this guy and then you go talk to that guy and, and you get more information and it turns out he's the guy right you couldn't have a criminal justice system without eyewitnesses but the push for less reliance on eyewitnesses is 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 real right but it's also terrible the idea of guilty people going away innocent uh, going away without being convicted right you, you don't want a, a too high of a threshold for evidence where you have guilty people getting away all the time, but you don't want the threshold for evidence being too low that innocent people are being convicted all the time, right? I mean, there's there's the right of the victim to to have the, the perpetrators put behind bars, right? Just as much as there is the right of the innocents to not be put behind bars despite doing nothing wrong. And, and there's no perfect balance. There's, there's always going to be guilty people who are who go free and innocent people who get convicted you just try to minimize that as much as possible the problem with a guilty person going free in the grand scheme of things the, the, the problem is if they can commit more crimes Let, let's say you have a person who murdered one person and he he gets put up for trial and everyone believes he's innocent and he goes free despite him committing this crime this is bad because in in the sense that i it would be beneficial for society if murders were murderers were sequestered because we can't tell if they're going to murder again or uh, and and, it, and they and they should stand as an example for other murderers uh, other potential murderers that they they shouldn't do that but if everyone thinks this person is innocent and this person never commits another crime in, in that way there is no additional harm that has been caused this this is irritating but it's not necessarily like the worst thing in the universe if, if you get what i'm saying i believe the goal of criminal justice should be harm prevention the tragedies of a guilty person going free exist when a guilty person going free leads to additional harm is what i'm trying to say i i don't i don't believe in criminal justice as an avenue for retribution i don't think it's really sensible i think i think it's just a, a waste of time and money sequestering non-violent offenders from society doesn't really make sense because all you're doing is inhibiting these people's ability to fix their own situations um you put a person in prison no one wants to hire an ex-con and then suddenly they can't get a job they can't fix their lives so you you, you you you're just creating people who are dependent on that system for the rest of their lives whether it be on welfare or what have you because they can no longer support themselves because they went to prison like it, it, it doesn't make sense you, you aren't helping them or anyone else by putting them in jail putting them in jail is more just a thing we'll just we'll just move these people get them out of the way because um, we don't want to deal with these people kind of thing be sure to like the video and subscribe to my channel it costs you nothing and i wish you all the best